and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Makes you strong, like Popeye. Popeye, Popeye, and Popeye, Popeye, and see? I'm Micah. And I'm Matsy. Um... On that note, <laughs> each week we give each other some cartoons to watch and then review and discuss, and we are going to do that as we always do this week, but also as we always do, let's talk about some other stuff first. Micah, talk to me about some other stuff first. Uh, I watched some segments from The Great North. Okay. Because I had to see Honeybee's butt. Oh, yeah, I posted that on Twitter. Yeah, you did that too. And you know, on review... I think it's not that bad. Her butt or the show? Oh, uh, the show is fine. Um, okay. But it didn't seem that exaggerated to me. Like, maybe in the context that everybody in the show has no butt, basically. It is. Mm. But just just from a drawing perspective, I think that uh, it was uh, acceptable. Like, it, was, it wasn't overblown. I guess compared to, like... Because this is basically the same art style as Bob's Burgers. And so you're looking at every character from the 11 or so years that Bob's Burgers has been on and every character that's been introduced in this great north. And she's the only character who has had a really defined butt. Hmm. Actually, it's funny. The rest of the characters have like baggy clothes or a jacket on or something. Yeah. Um... Something that I liked, I didn't mention it, um, but it is something that I've noticed is on the rare occasions when Judy is not wearing her coat, mm-hmm. um, I like the fact that they drew her with weird, small, awkward breasts because <laughs> she's 16. And okay. you can compare that to like <clears throat> Tina from Bob's Burgers, who has like this full woman's chest. It's like they kind mm. of realized with Judy is like, this is the kind of chest that a girl this age is probably going to have. And it's, it's neat that they did that because, you know, the drawing a female chest in a cartoon is kind of an all or nothing thing. And I like that they went with a mid tier. Seems like you've introduced, uh, I have to go find more clips for my male gaze to go over. <laughs> I only have one other item for cleanup. Uh-huh. Uh, so, a Space Jam trailer came out. Oh. Have you seen that? No. Oh, man. Okay, so Pepe Le Pew was nowhere to be seen in it. But Uh everybody else was there. And I mean everybody. So if you haven't seen this, um, like, the Iron Giant is in it. What? Yeah. The guys from Clockwork Orange are in it. What? Um, Cesar Romero... And Jack Nicholson Joker are in it. I'm not kidding you. Uh, what? The Flintstones are in it. Wait, the, uh, Flint? the yes. Flintstones? Scooby-Doo is in it. Did Disney buy Hanna-Barbera? No, wait, this isn't Disney. This is Warner Brothers. Yes, yes. Does Warner Brothers own Hanna-Barbera? I guess they do, don't they? When they're actually playing the game inside the cyber reality, uh-huh. the audience is filled with Warner Brothers properties. Okay. Pennywise the Clown is in there. What? I know. What they should have called this movie is Ready Player Two. (laughs) 
It's striking, isn't it? Because they just—they've used all the same people more or less, right, for these crowd scenes. That's um, so strange, isn't it? Heck, one of the uh, fun- funkier ones in the background, uh, Chitara from the Thundercats, is in there. Okay, I've completely lost track of who owns what cartoons anymore. I guess I know they did a Thundercats reboot recently. I t- can't remember who published it. It was on the WB, so or oh, was on, it? On, oh, on, not okay. On, not on WB. Sorry, it was on um, uh, Cartoon Network, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, That's wild, isn't it? So the trailer uh, filled out a little more that there's like a father-son thing going on that uh, LeBron wants his son to be a basketball player, but his son wants to be like a nerd, <laughs> and the. The son ends up getting trapped by uh, artificial intelligence Don Cheadle. (laughs) And in order to win him back, LeBron has to play a game with uh, Toons as his, uh, the the rejects as his uh, team. So, like, the other team is a bunch of, uh, I guess, each one is more distinct than the Monstars. Uh But... uh, you know, like there's one that's kind of a mechanical guy and another one that's kind of an energy woman or something. Um, huh. It actually led me to think, you know, the Monstars were okay. And these guys are, I guess, okay. But what they should have done is they should have given uh, the Looney Tunes more time. I was thinking what they, what they ought to have done is split the Looney Tunes among teams to have the villains all on one team. So like to have Elmer Fudd as uh, uh, yeah. the point guard. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So Yosemite Sam. Yeah, and you know, uh, like the hair monster and uh, the wrestler. Yeah, <laughs> Pete Puma would be great. <laughs> <laughs> and it, oh, it would man. be fun to see. Yeah, because you get more time with them as opposed to like, you know, these these other weird characters that we we didn't come to the soups, uh, to the movie to see, right? But huh, that's really weird. I'm I'm starting to think like they should have called this like. Because this is like, you said it's like his son's trapped by an AI. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have called this Cyberspace Jam. Oh, that'd be a good idea, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I bring it up a second time to have a lot of discussion for a movie I won't see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if between now and then, uh, even as much as one uh, listener... One celery stalker uh, asks me to see it. I will see it. Oh, careful, because some because I know at least one who probably will. Well, then I'll already have a topic set up for one of these beginning chats. Anyway, well, if, also don't go to a theater. No, no, I'll buy it off of whatever platform it's on. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess that's. I guess they're doing it that way now. Yeah, yeah. on demand so, or in theaters or whatever. Those are that's that's my uh, what abouts. How about you, Matsy? Oh, I was planning. To, I, I saw a couple of clips on YouTube, and I was planning to go in and uh, try watching as much as I could of Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Mm-hmm. But I was distracted by two things. One, apparently, by absolute coincidence, this week a spinoff of Harvey Birdman came out. Hmm. Uh, called Bird Girl, which is all about Bird Girl. Um, Bird Girl was, if you remember anything about Harvey Birdman, it was 
Birdman as a lawyer in right. Phil Ken Seven's uh, law firm. And there was one episode where um, Phil's daughter came in because she wanted to be a lawyer too. And so she mm-hmm. was like acting as an intern. But secretly, she was obsessed with the idea of being part of Birdman's superhero team. And he had crea- she had created uh, her own Bird Girl costume and was pretending to be Bird Girl. Well, not pretending to be like she, you know, she was intending to be Bird Girl, like the third okay. member of the team. Um, and so apparently they've made a spinoff, which is just Bird Girl, which I found interesting. And I may go and watch that because I wonder how you follow up Harvey Birdman, because I think that's got some great humor in it. Is it the same thing where she uh, interacts with other Hanna-Barbarians? I actually don't know, because I, like I said, I haven't watched it yet. Um mm-hmm. I probably will. I just haven't gotten around to it yet Um, because I've been distracted by two things. One, the new expansion for one of my favorite video games just came out, The Binding of Isaac, Repentance, which I've been putting a lot of time into. Mm -hmm. Um, But two, from an animation standpoint, I was distracted one night when I found an hour-long video on YouTube that was a compilation of classic animations from Sesame Street. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent some time watching that, and I will say not as much not not as much classic animation as I would have liked. There's a bit too much modern stuff in there, which the modern stuff is probably fine. It's just not stuff that I have fond campy memories of. I wonder if there's actually that much classic animation to begin with that we weren't watching the same five minutes of animation every day. I mean, that that's true. Like, I sort of had this moment, of, I'm thinking like, well, what else would I have wanted to see? I mean, sure, they only showed the one segment of the typewriter, and there's theoretically 25 more of them. Do mm. I really want to see all 25, or is the V enough? Right. But also there's, um, I know that there's a little song about 10 turtles on the telephone, which was not in that. But it had, it had the stuff that you want to see. It had, um, oh, let's see. It had the Ladybug's Picnic. Okay. Uh, it had the, uh, the pinball game. Oh, that's what everyone wants to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one about the King of Eight, and it was stop motion, and it was really good stop motion. Like, it was a high frame rate. Um, I was actually, that's something that I was impressed by, was the quality of the animation, or if not the quality, just the, like, the amount of it that's in there, like they really, they really went with a whole bunch of different experimental genres and stuff. Like there's a stop motion thing about the super guy who's just a, a little guy painted on a glass and it's this stop motion thing over all the characters are just painted onto um, like, like glasses and mugs and things. Hmm. So like those glasses and mugs are all moving around and also the pictures painted on them are moving around Okay. Which, like, yeah, there's, they put a lot of effort into that. There's a fun little animation that I remembered about a little girl who was going to the store to get a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. Hey. Oh. I wonder if that's alluded to by that Johnny Bravo cartoon. Possibly. Same list of things. Yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. There was um, Cowboy X. See. Cowboy who rides into town with an X stamp and just put X's on everything. I don't remember these very much. Really? Yeah. Huh. Oh, well, maybe you should go watch it again. Yeah, it's a different era to mine, or 
different different to uh, ken to mine right because like i was thinking about all that stuff that was on uh public access stuff right or not public mm-hmm. access but on uh, um uh, pbs right so yeah a lot of uh british cartoons british stop motion stuff oh yeah oh yeah i mean i i have vague memories of like naughty anyway yeah i, I just thought it was really interesting to see he's like oh yeah i remember like half of these and then the other half are from after i stopped watching sesame street um but i was really impressed by the variety of animation and the experimentalism that they are allowed in uh in their cartoons there's this one weird one which i did remember of it was just these six colored circles with this weird like echoey acapella singing going on while these mathematical lines are being drawn around the circles and making like shapes in them and they're turning and things it's really hard to explain i'll I'll give you the link to the to it um after this and maybe i'll put i'll post it on twitter is what i'll do because okay. this i mean I'll, I'll i'll post to the whole thing but um maybe i'll also do a timestamp to this particular one because it's really weird and you look at it it's like this is really artsy for sesame street i can conjure the kind of thing to mind Mm. It's a it's a shame that uh, I think modern Sesame Street is kind of hard to watch. Well, half of it is Elmo. Yes, yes. I mean, literally, like like the show used to be an hour long, and now it's like half an hour long, and the other half is like Elmo's World or something. And then half of what's actually Sesame Street is devoted to this fairy character whose name I don't even remember. Hmm. Yeah, I dislike Elmo, but uh, my prior cat—that uh, was what she would watch on television. Really? So yeah, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> was like fascinated. <laughs> That's weird. Well, I mentioned dots and lines. Do you have anything you want to any, add? Anything about uh, dots and lines? Well, as it happens, you recommended I watch the dot and the line. Wow. Yeah, secondary title: A Romance in Lower Mathematics. So. Uh, just like those Sesame Street shorts, this is kind of uh, experimental. Mm-hmm. And that what you're looking at is like a dot and line, literally, for the characters of this uh, cartoon. This one's adapted from a book of the same name by Norton Juster. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Oh, well, then well, we'll get into it. You've unwittingly uh, then linked your cartoons again. They... They have two, well, they had one link that I was aware of. Now I know of two. Yeah, yeah. This one is technically directed by Chuck Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how it's credited. Um, however, uh, Maurice Noble, who is the co-director, on his recollection, he says that Chuck Jones uh, worked on it and then the producers didn't like his stuff. So essentially they tasked uh, Maurice Noble to remake it. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah. Like how yeah. that ha- like um like the movie Labyrinth, the screenplay is attributed to Monty Python alumnus Terry Jones, but right. they actually totally rewrote it to the point that Terry Jones was like, "No, it's not as good anymore." Yeah. So according to like this is something that uh Chuck Jones didn't refute, so I guess we take it as truth that uh, Maurice sure. Noble is saying that uh Chuck Jones was so upset that he came into his office in a rage and was like throwing stuff off the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this cartoon had such a violent history. 
Yeah. It's funny to think of Chuck Jones being like that, too. <laughs> yeah. Know? Did he point a shotgun at Maurice and Maurice put his fingers in the barrel and then he got black-faced? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The, the other credit that I'll note here that I thought was pretty interesting is there's uh, uh, Don Foster is listed for typographics. Okay. And uh, the text that's involved in the uh, – mostly the credits – is that really characteristic text that follows Chuck Jones around to Tom and Jerry and, mm. and Looney Tunes and stuff. So I thought it was kind of kind of nice to revisit. Anyway, the actual uh, dot in the line. The red dot is a character that the line romantically pines for. But the dot only has eyes for a wild and unkempt squiggle. Mm-hmm. So the dot's chosen the squiggle because the squiggle's uninhibited and fun. Right, he's free form and flowing around. And she uh, harshly rebuffs the line for being dull and unflashy. So, after some moping and soul-searching, the line takes a lesson from the squiggle's example and tries to let go. And he experiments with himself, leads him learning how to bend at angles, and then get more complex, being able to form shapes, creating curves, and even complex patterns. When he encounters the dot again, he shows the new and improved line. <laughs> and uh, the dot is taken with his, his complexity and now dismisses the squiggle for its shortcomings. That's the whole story, basically. Yeah. So I have some thoughts on this. Uh, the basic message, I think, is pretty good. That the, the line ups his game to be worthy. And mm -hmm. in the process of doing it, he's got to step outside of himself. Right? Yeah. He's got to try some new things. Yeah. On the other hand, it's got like an old-fashioned idea of romance. Yeah. So it limits women and dots to just being goals. That was my right. take on it, too. Like, <sighs> watching it, because, you know, she's, she's perfectly happy with the squiggle. And maybe she wouldn't be happy later. Maybe she would grow out of him because, you know, she, she comes to... You know, at the end, she sees the Squiggle's flaws and realizes, like, what was I thinking? But at the same time, like, that's for her to figure out. It's not for her to be bullied into seeing someone better. Well, also, she's fickle as heck. Yes. <laughs> she ditches... Well, I don't think she was ever with the line, right? But No. But twice she opts for the flashier thing that shows up. Yeah. I had that, I had that same thought. I was like, boy, this... Mm, this is uh, not a good romance. Yeah, and also uh, the old-fashioned idea that, like, if at first you don't succeed, then just keep at it, man. Fixate on this thing. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. in some ways it doesn't age well like that, but it, it is interesting. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's a weird cartoon for one. It's ten minutes long. So, it's a little longer than most. Yes. I. So, I remember seeing this cartoon once as a child in, I guess it would be the Tom and Jerry block. And, you know, I'm a kid. I don't, I'm not into cerebral things like that. And so my lasting memory of it is, wow, this is long. <laughs> you know, like, I think when they, I don't think this was paired with a movie when it was released. I think it was like, you know, it was given to like Cannes Film Festival, right? Okay. And so it, it probably did the festival circuit and it won the Academy Award for animated short film. Yeah. Uh which I bet Chuck Jones begrudgingly accepted. Um, <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But it's as you say, right? Like, 
you see like the MGM block. I remember those uh, half hours of cartoons on television just being anything, right? It would be like, here's a Bugs Bunny and then a Woody Woodpecker. And I then it'd do be like too. Yeah. I remember that too. And it seems wild now to the point that I'm mm. like, was that actually the way it was? Or am I just like, you know, is there so much time since then that I'm misremembering the fact that they were divided into different studio blocks? But I have that same memory of all the cartoons just being mashed together. Yeah, yeah. And so when this one would come on, it would arrest my attention because it was weird. Mm. So I always thought it was interesting myself. I mean, it is. Like, to see it now, it is. Like, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. I think, you know, at the time when I was, you know, four or five or however old, like, it would have just been, you know... There's no pratfalls going on. It's just kind of the cerebral, oh, look at him turning into a grid and a pillar and stuff. And I'm just like looking at my little child watch going, this is not ending. <laughs> I think that this would have been easier. Well, I'm certain this would have been an easier cartoon to make back in the day. But today oh, yeah. it would be t- today it would be even easier. Today it would probably be computer animated. Um. I think it would look much the same, but yeah, it would probably be cleaner, but I like the way it looks though. Yeah. It's an interesting one to come back to. What year was this? Was it 1950? 1960? No, 65 for this one. 65. Yeah. Okay. You can tell by the music. Hmm. And I guess, you know, if you want to think of it in a darker way, you can kind of think of it as like the dot falling in with the hippie crowd. And oh, yeah, yeah. The Squiggles got, uh, like, rock music <laughs> whenever he's yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, it's very 60s music. And it's, you know, there's this, like, subversive message of, you know, it's okay to like an artist, but make sure they're a buttoned-up proper artist, not some weird ruffian who just does manic stuff. <laughs> yeah, actually, I thought about this for um, running the comparison uh, making an allegory for real people that uh, mm. uh, when the line loses the first time, it says that the squiggle and the dot, you know, get up uh, to cavorting and who knows what else. <laughs> anyway, uh, a, a neat short. So I gave you a couple cartoons. How about we discuss the first one? All right. Well, I will go with the first one chronologically. Because this is 1940, and it fits here because it's about drawing lines. Okay. It's a Terry Toons cartoon. They're both Terry Toons, as you mentioned last time. This one is called The Magic Pencil, starring Gandy Goose, uh, who's a character that I was not entirely familiar with. Terry Toons, looking at it in retrospect, like once I looked it up, it's like, oh, they did Mighty Mouse. And I mentioned the crows previously, Heckle and Jekyll. Yeah. Gandy Goose was one of their early cash cows to some extent, along with Farmer Al Falfa. This is a cartoon featuring uh, Gandy Goose and his apparent roommate, uh, Sour Puss, who is mm. exactly what he sounds like, which is a, a cat who just kind of hates everything. And he's one of those cartoon characters that we mentioned um, in the first episode, who's a jerk for no reason. Hmm. He's a, he's a quasi uh, Jimmy Durante too, kind of. Yes, he's he's yeah. a quasi Jimmy Durante, 
And uh, Gandy Goose, I didn't catch this at the time, but supposedly he's modeled after Ed Wynn. Hmm. And to make a little tangent here, that's kind of something that I miss from the old, these old cartoons. The idea that they could do these celebrity parodies and you knew who the celebrities were. Because, like, hmm. there are very few celebrities in the modern age where you can make a cartoon version of them and you immediately know who they are. Like, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger and that's kind of it. But, you know, back then, you you know, you need somebody with a big nose, it's Jimmy Durante. Uh, you need someone who's kind of creepy, it's Peter Lorre. Even, like, as far forward as The Corpse, uh, corpse Bride, uh, there was a Peter Lorre parody in that. Th- those personas still persist today. You know, I don't think a lot of those, a lot of those classic comedies hold up that well. But mm-hmm. the thing I do like about them is that the character actors are there to be silly. Yeah. And now I think you're saying that the, you don't have celebrities you can do that on is because they're all too dignified. They're too cool, right? I guess. They're, yeah, we don't really have the, you know, the, the. But they're also not that distinct. Like, and and part of that is the silliness of them. Like, I'm thinking of there was a cartoon I can't remember the name of it but the main character was a rooster and he was he was trying to win some lady hen's attentions in some way and i remember just watching it and being like okay whatever and then the rooster said i I can't remember the exact line but it ended with the words you know and so it was something like i have feelings too you know and just the way that he enunciated that, I suddenly went, oh, he's doing Red Skelton. And then later, there's a nurse at the hospital who calls him Mr. Cadoodlehopper. Ah. I was like, oh, yeah, he's doing Red Skelton's Clem Cadoodlehopper. But that's the thing. Nobody these days, you know, has a character like that. Like, you know, you have Red Skelton. He has his Clem Cadoodlehopper. You had um, 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 Andy Kaufman, who's got uh, his Tony Clifton. Um Nobody today has this other persona. You know, it's just... Well, when you think about it, it's it's kind of shameless and hacky. <laughs> yeah. I guess, but also, I don't know. I mean, I guess part of it is just, you know, they don't build entire shows around one actor anymore. Right. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. At hand. Hmm. Um, Gandy Goose is having fun dancing to the music on the radio, which annoys Sourpuss. An ad comes on the radio saying that if they send in uh, 2,000 box tops uh, and 10 cents, which Gandy forgets, but is not mentioned, Mm. you'll get a magic pencil. And so Gandy goes to the kitchen, rips off a bunch of box tops, throws them in the the radio, and gets a magic pencil. And swiftly learns that this pencil, just whatever he draws, comes to life. And so he's amusing himself drawing like music notes and saxophone and things and um sourpuss because he is one of those cartoon characters who's a jerk for no reason gets angry at this and starts chasing around the things that gandhi has drawn uh which prompts gandhi to to play a little prank on him by drawing a stick figure lady cat who he immediately falls in love with and then taking the prank (laughs) further by drawing a villainous stick figure cat to steal the girl. Yeah. It's funny when he, when he first draws the lady cat, I was thinking about, uh, her body, right? Yeah. 
Is she just really thin? And I I like that it just doesn't matter, right? <laughs> that, that Sourpuss just looks like, uh, you know, like, what a face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the stick figure girl is not interested in the villain. So the villain uh, absconds with her, as villains tend to. Mm. And so Gandhi and Sourpuss join forces to save her um, from the old tied to a saw uh, tied to a log in a sawmill thing they defeat the villain and get the girl and because everybody in this cartoon is a jerk gandhi then sucks the girl (laughs) back up into the pencil and gets rid of her which prompts sourpuss to grab the pencil and toss it down and it shoots into the sky and turns into some marching band guys playing that song that i showed you a youtube video of and i can't remember the name the girl i left behind yeah, that, that's that. Is, oh, wait, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that thing. So, yeah, this is, <laughs> that's the thing, the, the main takeaway that I had from this is, like, this is the old cartoon where, just to keep the plot going, every character is a jerk to every other character, except when they're not. Hmm. This prompted me to watch a whole bunch of other Gandhi Goose cartoons. Okay. Yeah, I, I really like him, actually. And I like oh. him and... I like him and Sourpuss as a duo. Gandhi Goose, sometimes he's like a teenager, maybe, or like he, he lives with his parents. And other times mm. he's living with Sourpuss. Well, you know, cartoon characters just live wherever they have to to make the plot work. Right, right. Uh, I think these two are linked by intellect. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they're friends because they're like the perfect match, right? Okay. And Gandhi Goose, uh, what I like about him is that he really is nuts. Like the old Daffy duck is nuts, but he's like an antagonist, right? He just wants to be a jerk. Yes. I think Gandy goose has something beyond sociopathy. Hmm. Right. Where whatever he does is purely just because it's like what entertains himself. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm sort of thinking of the early Woody Woodpecker here as well. Yeah. But even Woody Woodpecker is just a jerk, right? Well, to some extent, I mean, he'd, He'd, he'd become a little less of a jerk later. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there's a good Woody Woodpecker cartoon that I should make you watch at some point. Mm, yeah, yeah, he gets sanitized. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Gandhi, like, I noticed that he has this laugh that they were trying to, obviously trying to push as his little catchphrase. Yeah. Um, I assume he does that in other cartoons as well. Well, that's the thing, is that I don't even think he acts in his own self-interest half the time. That. Mm. He just does things, you know, that <laughs> in the moment just think he thinks is amusing, right? Like <laughs> his, I'm, his parents probably wonder why he lit the house on fire to be like, the devil made me do it. <laughs> you know? Is that is that like literally what happens in a cartoon? No, not literally what happens. Okay, but but, okay. but he, he's that way, right? Where it's just like mm. when, when he's in trouble, he doesn't have any kind of like his, his uh, mood doesn't really temper to the situation. Hmm. I think he's kind of like, uh, he's got the sort of amorality of a Grand Theft Auto player. Oh, okay. You know, okay. like, like, yeah. like Grand Theft Auto clicked to me what it was about when I was watching a kid play it. And the, the guy was like riding a dirt bike and sideswiping people. Mm-hmm. And like the police were chasing him. But he stopped to drive up on the rail of a bridge and hop on the wheel to make an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I think that's Gandy Goose, and I think the only safe place for Gandy Goose is Arkham Asylum. <laughs> All right, yeah. That, that's kind of what this cartoon is. I mean, you know, the idea of... It's it's kind of sad, actually, that, and I guess other cartoons did this better later, but, like, the idea mm. that they have this pencil that can do anything, and it just comes down to a kidnapping chase. Yeah. Actually, there's another... Uh, there's a, a good Gandhi and Sourpuss cartoon uh, called Tricky Business. Mm-hmm. It's similar in that they get a free run at a magic shop. <laughs> like they, they go in there, but the, the clerk isn't there, right? The sign says like, you know, I'm out for five minutes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they just, yeah. They just decide, all right, let's go in and play with everything. Sure. And the, the magic pencil makes an appearance in that one too. Oh. Do they yeah. handle it the same way or... <laughs> Uh, they play with it less. Mm. Yeah, like uh, they they draw drinks for themselves on the wall. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's uh, to wrap it up. To wrap up my review of it, I would be they don't do enough with the magic pencil. I mean, it drives mm. the plot forward, but it's not the the main part of the plot. It's like right. you know they they draw a car on the house. They draw some stairs to get up to the cabin, whatever. But it's really just a plain old here's a villain who has captured a girl and now heroes have to go and rescue him or rescue her i should say yeah no no morality play for the fact that he created life and erased it yeah i mean that i mean there's an immorality play in the idea that uh, great we've saved the goyle and he's just instantly like okay now she's gone just because <laughs> this is a laugh and like you said gandhi is just wild just yeah. whatever he wants to do for his own amusement uh, well, maybe something will amuse you. Okay. Um, the second cartoon you recommended to me was Gerald McBoing Boing. Mm-hmm. Directed by Robert Cannon in 1950. Just as The Dot in the Line was based upon a story, uh, like a children's storybook, this one is adapted from a Dr. Seuss story. Yeah. Yeah, it's from United Productions of America. Uh... Uh, the director, Robert Cannon, was known for the mis- their Mr. Magoo cartoons. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, I think UPA didn't produce all that much, actually, because that's pretty much their two flagships, I think, is Mr. Magoo and uh, McBoing Boing. Yeah, I didn't really recognize it when I saw the credits. I was like, I was kind of thinking, like, what else have they done? Are they the Pink Panther people? No, that's United Artists. Uh... At first look, the drawing and the color styling in this made me think that it was a pure interpretation of the Dr. Seuss art style. Mm. So like how the Grinch stole Christmas. When you look at that, it's really Chuck Jones cartoon, not really Dr. Seuss, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I thought this, you know, people have kind of like extending limbs that have no joints or anything, you know, and the, sometimes they're uncolored. And mm-hmm. there'll be like the separation of background colors, which is sparse to begin with, however, like runs through their uncolored bodies. And yeah. I thought, yeah, th- I thought this is really Dr. Seuss, but th- I'm unfamiliar with the book. So when I looked at the book, it didn't look like it at all. The book is strangely conventionally drawn for a Dr. Seuss book. Mm, yeah. I mean, I love the way this cartoon looks. Mm. I just adore the art style and I don't, 
I, I guess I can see elements of Dr. Seuss in it, but Dr. Seuss to me always seems a little rougher and sketchier, where this is very smooth. Right. I guess it's like a halfway point between their Mr. Magoo cartoons and Dr. Seuss. And then with like a, uh, a really distinct color style. Yeah. Like, cause it's not, it's not a part of anything else. You know, it's, it's not like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where you have a certain look or, or, you know, like a Chuck Jones or a Hanna-Barbera or something like that, where you kind of have the idea of what it's going to look like. This is just by itself. And so it could look like anything. It becomes something though. They, they made multiple Gerald McBoing Boing cartoons. I didn't know that. I knew that they, I knew that there was a TV series not that long ago. Yeah. They made, um, uh, how now, uh, Gerald McBoing Boing. And, uh, uh, the name's eluding me, but another one where aliens kidnap him. Hmm. I will get into that a little bit, but anyway, the, uh, the, I thought you might find this interesting too. Hmm. The first credited animator in there is Bill Melendez, who's best known for making the Peanuts cartoons. Weird. Yeah. Huh. And I guess when you go with that frame, you can kind of see it. A little uh, bit, I guess. My hmm. initial thought is, wow, this looks so much better than the Peanuts cartoons. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess he didn't have a Bill Cannon or whoever. Well, also the Peanuts cartoons, like, you know, they have to look like Charles Schultz's drawings. Yeah. So the story itself uh, is about a boy named Gerald McCloy. Mm. And instead of talking, he makes sound effects. So he opens his mouth and makes like a boing boing. That's his first noise is uh, that of a spring. Well, really like the, the Jews harp instrument, you know, that makes spring sound effects. Mm. Um, so the doctor can't cure his condition and the school gives up on Gerald. Neither can the boy have any friends because he's ridiculed for being a sound maker. Mm. Yeah, I call foul a bit here. I think he would have friends. If only for the novelty, right? There'd be a group of boys that would keep him and, and, you know, like that he was this oddball. Well, and I think his thing reads more as a talent anyway, that, you know, people would really like to hear the things he does, right? Yeah. It's something that uh, gets me in various stories, like uh, how nobody wants to be the friend to the superhero, right? <laughs> it never <laughs> makes any sense. Like Hercules, remember Disney's Hercules? Nobody wants to be friends with the super strong kid. No <laughs> way. They all would want to be friends with him. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, it, it thrusts the story that he, he doesn't fit in anywhere. Actually, you know, uh, did you watch any of the modern adaptation? I've seen a little bit of it. So the, there was a, a cartoon, like a regular series for Gerald McBoing Boing in 2005. Hmm. Uh, and it was... Uh, it kind of serves, I guess, is like a 21 minute CNC, you know, where uh, <laughs> little, little kids can figure out what things make what noises. <laughs> yeah, kind of right. In the show, they have uh, characters who can speak. He's got friends in some segments called Janine and Jacob. Yeah. And uh, you could see how he would associate, actually, because in his original cartoon, he just kind of makes random noises a lot of the time. And in, in uh, the uh, 2005 one, he makes his noises contextually. So like when one of them is in trouble, he makes an alarm noise. Which is how it would probably go. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. 
What was the release date of that cartoon compared to that live-action Transformers movie? The live-action Transformers movie? Uh, is 1985, yeah? No, the live-action. Live, oh, sorry, live-action. Oh, because you're thinking of uh, Bumblebee Talks with uh, radio yeah. sounds, right? But now that I'm thinking oh. about it, I think that was probably something like 2006. Yeah. That's kind of a funny, a funny title to revitalize, huh? What, Gerald McBoyboy? I mean, I guess not. I guess... Uh, I guess it's a Seuss book, so well, it always yeah. has. I mean, you know, people are always revitalizing everything, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's because it is a beloved cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's mo- people nowadays might not be super familiar with it, but at that time it was pretty famous. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. Transformers was 2007. Seven. Okay. A little later than yeah. I thought, but all right. So in, in the plot of the storyline, uh, with his parents frustrated, Gerald McBoing Boing, that, that's his nickname, by the way, that the kids gave him. Mm. Uh, he runs away from home with all the cliches. So he, like, he climbs down a knotted bed sheet, and then he's got a stick and bindle over his shoulder. Yep. And he's about to jump on a train and ride the rails. And actually, uh, you're liking the look of this film. I thought this is the highlight, is the moody animation of him running away. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I noticed that too. So uh, he's saved by, uh, he's, he's tracked down by the owner of the NBC radio station. They don't name the station, <laughs> but whenever he would name it, he instead kind of, uh, maybe he's a McBoing Boing himself because he's xylophones in the air. Dun, dun, dun. Well, he has an actual xylophone. Oh, does he? Like oh. he pulls it out of his coat. Right, Every time right. he needs to say it, he pulls it out and goes, dun, dun, dun. Oh, I guess in the future, Gerald will do that for him. Um, <laughs> Anyway, he's, he's been on a hunt for weeks to find this famous boy who makes sound effects so that he can hire him as a specialist for radio dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a cowboy radio drama, and he makes all the noises of like the, uh, the boot spurs and then the, the shootout and all that. Um, and that leads to fame and fortune and the pride of his parents. You know what's kind of funny is this... Kind of makes me think of um, Quillen Doc from the uh, oh. Backwards Boy one. Yeah, kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. This is a charming cartoon. I, I liked it. I did watch one of the other ones. It was How Now uh, Gerald McBoing Boing. Mm. Or maybe it was just, maybe it was How Now McBoing Boing. Anyway, um, it makes me think these are kind of going to run similar. So in that one, there's a speech therapist who's tasked with figuring him out, right? And uh, <laughs> and the speech therapist is really, like, stressed out because he thinks he'll be ruined if he can't cure this boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's like a... a it's funny. His peers are three other speech therapists who walk in a literal line. I mean, like, a vertical line. So it's a pair of legs and then a head and another head and another head. So like when they, they join together, like one starts walking into the other one and then collectively they walk into the third one. <laughs> That's a weird gag. Oh, it's really funny. Sounds cool. Though. It's really, I'll skip, I'll skip to the end where he's, he's actually figured uh, how, how to cure Gerald uh-huh. and he's accepted into the group. He's literally accepted into the group. He walks in and <laughs> they're stacked four highly. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. The, uh, the way he figures it out is um, that 
when you make a phone call across the ocean or like if you make a phone call to another country, uh, they, the phone company has a way of unscrambling their French language or stuff like that <laughs> to where they actually play it backwards or, or whatever. Anyway. So okay. the thing is they figure out that when Gerald, uh, makes a phone call like to France to then make a long distance phone call from there, use like use the directory there to call back to America. He can communicate with his parents. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, also kind of charming like it's they put a lot of thought into that <laughs> yeah there's not a lot of these cartoons there's probably about the right amount like this uh that one also did the um dr seuss style rhyming mm-hmm. and the one i read that people don't like the one where he gets kidnapped by aliens doesn't i think it's mm. the biggest departure the oh. i haven't watched it the plot line of it is that aliens kidnap him and then work under the assumption that all humans talk like him Oh, okay. Yeah. But I like it. I it's something I didn't remember at all and uh pretty fun. Yeah, and another Academy Award winner. Right, right. Yeah, you've got the uh, through line on both of your recommendations, which I did not know at the time. I like you might remember it wasn't in the last podcast, but as we were talking afterwards, I was looking at something and being distracted. Mm. What I was looking at was the list of Academy Award winners for best short feature. Yeah. animated feature noticing that both of these cartoons were on this list and then i just got distracted looking at oh that's a good one. Oh, that one. Oh, wow yep Th- three similarities so based on a children's book academy yep. award yep and uh narrated by one person yeah yeah okay that's true yeah. but yes i i liked this cartoon a lot i love the mm. way it looks and I, I didn't go into it expecting to like it that much because I remember seeing it before and thinking, yeah, okay. But, you know, watching it again, I was like, oh, actually, this is really good. Yeah. And I like the, uh, I like the acting, too. <laughs> well, I like yeah. How, I like the hysterics of Gerald's father. Yes. And I like the NBC guy. Yeah. It's weird that the mother basically doesn't have any lines, but I guess that's because they didn't want the narrator to do a woman's voice, but. Yeah, I I guess. Anyway, uh, pretty cool. Let's see if uh, the second cartoon I recommended to you is any cool. No, although <laughs> it, although it 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 led to something cool. Okay. All right. So the other one that you gave me is a another Terry Tunes cartoon uh, called. It's it stars the Mighty Heroes and it's called the Ghost Monster. Uh, the yeah. Mighty Heroes is a superhero parody group uh, that was made for TV in 1966, I believe, for the Mighty Mouse uh, show. Um, I'll go more into the credits of this one later because I think that's the meat of this story. Mm-hmm. The idea here is, in this particular cartoon, that every hundred years there's this ghost monster that comes to a haunted house outside of the town. And... The Mighty Heroes are a quintet of heroes who are summoned to save the day from this ghost monster, which is harassing everyone. Mm. The heroes are rejected Mega Man bosses. <laughs> yeah. There's Strong Man, who is yeah. strong. Rope Man, who is made of rope. Tornado Man, who can turn himself into a tornado. Cuckoo Man, who is dressed as 
like a bird. Yeah. And the baby diaper man, um, whose superpower seems to involve using his bottle as a whip by holding onto the nipple and stretching it. And he talks like Popeye. Yeah. Um, all the voices in this were by the same guy. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he's, he's the voice of the Jolly Green Giant and uh, the tuna from the Sunkiss Tuna cart- uh, 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 commercials. He does a pretty good job of distinguishing them all. He does. I wouldn't have expected. I actually looked it up because I wanted to see if it was the voice actor who did Popeye. And it wasn't. It was just an impression of him. But yeah, like the, the fact that all five of these are the same guy and they all sound very different is very much to his credit. Hmm. Um, so the mighty heroes try to stop the ghost monster and are basically foiled at every turn by the fact that the ghost monster is a ghost and therefore incorporeal. So they can't do anything to him. The ghost monster goes back to his lair and the mighty heroes follow and they still attempt to fight him and they still can't hurt him. And the ghost monster uses a chain to tie up all the mighty heroes and drop them down a incredibly long shaft uh, to be eaten by an alligator. Mm -hmm. The mighty heroes escape from the chain and get the idea in their head that if they destroyed the house, then maybe the ghost monster won't come back there anymore. So they do, and the ghost monster decides that he's not coming back here anymore, and the day is saved. Mm, Like a good Dungeons and Dragons party, they figure out they have to blow up the house. (laughs) I suppose so. So that's pretty much it. Um, I watched this and thought, okay, it's it's fine. I mean, it's animated okay. It's 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 all right for the time, I guess. There's nothing particularly special about it. Whatever. And then I looked it up. Yeah. And I looked up the story behind it. And I found the reason why you gave it to me. Mhm. This is created by Ralph Bakshi. Hmm. It wasn't just the reason, but that's interesting, yeah. Oh, by the way, also credit the the voice is Herschel Bernardi. Oh, thank you. This is basically where Ralph Bakshi got his start. Now, Ralph Bakshi is a somewhat famous animator, mostly for uh, more adult-leaning cartoons. Um, He's probably best known for directing Fritz the Cat and uh, the animated Lord of the Rings from the 80s. Uh, I believe he also directed Cool World. Mm -hmm. And this is where he got his start, basically, working for Terry Toons as an animator. Uh, He created the Mighty Heroes uh, as a superhero parody. And I was hoping that this was a parody. Because when I saw it, I thought, these guys are so inept. It's it's like 60-40 that they're aware of how inept they are, or they really expect this to take off. But Ralph Bakshi, no, he... He knew this was a parody. Um, And so I think that's where the real historical interest here is in that this was the launching pad for Ralph Bakshi's career. Do you remember at the end of Cool World when some of the humans become tunified? I never saw Cool World. uh, Okay. One of them turns into very much strongman from this. Okay. All right. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I... it's weird. I don't really like Ralph Bakshi, but mm. my concept of him is based on like Fritz the Cat, right? And these these strange uh, uh, '70s films where you get kind of got to do whatever you wanted. Yeah. Uh, 
I like this a lot better with its kind of more rigid animation style. And I think mm. there's one thing that is quintessential Ralph Bakshi. And that's like this weird snap jump cut that happens for like gestures and expressions where somebody just like there's no betweens, right? It'll be Diaper Man looks to the side with a grin like bonk, right? And like <laughs> in a cartoon like Ren and Stimpy, there will be a sound effect like I just made, right? There'll be like a breaking window sound or something. Yeah. But these old, these old Ralph Bakshi things, there's not probably half born out of uh, budget, but also it just kind of became his style too. Yeah. And I think John Chris Felusi kind of learned under uh, Ralph Bakshi at some point in his career. Um, right. I believe they worked on, um, I think it's the new Mighty Mouse Adventures. Yeah. I I would always call it that. It's Mighty Mouse, the new adventures. But yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember there being a Beanie and Cecil cartoon that I saw one right. time. And it was like, I remember seeing it one time and thinking, well, this is weird. And then seeing it in retrospect and going, oh, John Chris Felucci's fingerprints are all over this. Right. Right. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's cool to see. I like superhero parodies. Mm. Like, you don't really see them very much. You know, usually it's people making up their own superheroes who are either either they're trying to take them seriously or they're joke superheroes in a world of other serious superheroes or it's a really, really jokey superhero that is like, they're not even trying to be serious. Um, mm -hmm. Powdered Toast Man, maybe. Right, right, right. So yeah, I'm glad that, you know, knowing that it's Ralph Bakshi, because he's a pretty smart guy. So knowing that he had the wherewithal to do this and say, we're going to make a superhero parody uh, and seeing like the origin of Ralph Bakshi. And I... I have a slightly higher opinion of Ralph Bakshi than you do. Um, I don't think he's great, but like I've, you know, obviously your enjoyment of something like Lord of the Rings only goes so far. Well, it's all rotoscoped. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah. So like this has charm and to me it has some charm, right? That the characters have these funny looks and some yes. funny movements. Whereas Lord of the Rings is sort of empty. Yeah, it's it, um, Ralph Bakshi has kind of a, a similar a, a similar philosophy to Don Bluth in how much animation, like having things animated quite realistically, mm. like which is one of the reasons that Don Bluth left Disney was because he wasn't happy with how limited the animation was, and so you know you you look at you know something of his like a, a an American Tale or All Dogs Go to Heaven or whatever. Um, mm. I remember seeing a um, a Bugs Bu not a Bugs Bunny uh, a Winnie the Pooh segment at some point, and I remember it was this segment of Rabbit um, being in some scary woods. Uh, probably the best, yeah. And I just remember thinking as I was watching, it's like the way this is animated. This is Don Bluth. Yeah. Um, and Ralph Bakshi's got that same kind of idea where it's like you know as realistic detailed animation as possible, which I don't know. Like, I, I guess that has its place, but like you can do so much more just instead of having animation, trying to emulate real life, just let animation be its own style of movement. Mm. Like that's so much more interesting. That's not this cartoon though. <laughs> no. Th yeah. Th no, this cartoon, yeah. like I said, like this is, this is the beginning of Ralph Bakshi's career, but he did not have, his hooks into this. This is like pure, 
you know, this was 19, I think I said this was 1966. If you imagine a cartoon in 1966, it's pretty much like that. You know, it's interesting as I like do research for cartoons, mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi's got his hooks into so many of them. Yeah. Like I would never have guessed that he was like the visual force behind the original Spider-Man cartoon. I didn't know that either. Was he? Yeah. And it's weird looking at these cartoons and just seeing him on everything. Like, whoa. He huh. was like a real force back in the day. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned that he, he came back with the uh, Mighty Mouse The New Adventures. Yes. Well, there are Mighty Mouse The New Adventures episodes. There's one that has Gandy Goose in it. Oh, um, yeah. I read that. Yeah. It's not a great one. But mm. the other one... uh He's got another one that guest stars the Mighty Heroes. <laughs> and both of those instances, like as a little kid, I didn't have any connection. I thought these were just made up, right? Right. For a, for just like weird gags. Uh, yeah. The Mighty Heroes one. So the Mighty Mouse, the New Adventures takes place in 1987. Mm-hmm. And they've uh, moved time ahead for the Mighty Heroes. So they have gotten out of the superhero business and have formed a accounting firm. <laughs> of man, 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 and man, and man. <laughs> That's not bad. That's all right. That's yeah, pretty funny. That's, That's good. Pretty, yeah. That's and a nice you, gag. That's that's the better one to watch for <laughs> one that alludes back to an old Terry tune. They've <laughs> got some funny. That 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 whole one is pretty funny. There's like a the villain has stolen all the numbers in town, <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's foiled himself because he demands like ten billion dollars we have no way of knowing (laughs) oh that's good that's a good gag yeah maybe after this go check out the uh the mighty heroes episode of mighty of new adventures yeah i guess to close the book on terry tunes um they were (laughs) sold and splintered in various ways and as far as i can tell the rights to the various entities of the terry tunes name are kind of mm-hmm. scattered to the winds at this point. Like it's it's hard to tell who owns what. Like Viacom owns some of it, but it's some of it is just, you know, people are content to go, well, it came out at this time, so it's public domain now, so who cares who owns it? But yeah, the Terry Tunes, you mentioned that you kind of forgot about Terry Tunes all the time. Yeah. And I guess the reason for that is that it kind of no longer exists as an entity. It's just kind of splintered everywhere. It should be like uh, DC Comics would buy other comics, uh, like the like uh, Shazam slash Captain Marvel, right? They bought that from Fawcett Comics. Hmm. should be the same way. Like, I, I would like to see Warner Brothers buy, acquire uh, Gandy Goose and Sourpuss and fold them in. Yeah. That would be pretty neat. Yeah. Why not? Well... I think that's four up and four down for us. So for this next week, we decided we decided to take one episode from a 90s show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So here's mine. I would like you to watch the first episode of The Legend of Calamity Jane. Oh. Yeah. Slip of the whip. That wasn't an, an O like I'm annoyed. It's yeah. an O of relief. Because I was oh. 100% convinced that you were going to make me watch Stop the Smoggies. <laughs> Why? Oh, it's because I, I, I think I role-played in a venue that I was whistling the tune, right? Yes. 
<laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh no. <laughs> All right, The Legend of Calamity yeah, Jane. Yeah. First episode of yeah. that. All right. You're saved. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I thought about a few different things, and I decided, you know what? If we're doing 90s, let's go 100% 90s. Let's go the 90s thing I can think of. Right. I want you to watch the first episode of Little Shop. Oh, neat. Okay. It's called Bad Seed. All right, sounds cool. I'm down yeah. for it. All right, so I got Calamity Jane, and you got uh, Little Shop. Little and- Shop, Little Shop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you already know. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, well, that's going to do it for this week. If you have any feedback, and I hope you do, um, we would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at AC Matsy. I'm on Twitter at Drab Swatch. And make sure to subscribe to whatever um, thing you're listening to this on. Probably Spotify, based on what I'm seeing, but... Um, Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And uh, you'll see it next time when we talk about 90s shows. And until then, remember the Celery Stalker slogan. That's a very odd thing for a young boy to say. (laughs) 